Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes a Goal podcast. If you're new around here, I'm a late bloomer who discovered the power of goals in his mid-30s. Now I'm on a furious mission to create the accelerators I wish I had in my 20s. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today we're talking about three things I wish I knew sooner as a parent. If you are a parent, you are going to love this episode. If you're a parent, you're going to send other parents this episode because it's going to help you so much. You're going to have a blast in this one. There's three things that I wish I knew sooner as a parent. But first, let's hear a quick word from the sponsor of today's episode. Did you know that 96% of people feel they're not tapping into their full potential? 96% of people. That's most people. Now, the good news is, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not most people. You and I can be the 4% that open every gift they have and enjoy every bit of potential. So how exactly do we do this? Well, all it takes is a goal. In fact, I wrote a whole book about it, and my three-step plan will help you escape the comfort zone, avoid the chaos zone, and live in the potential zone. What if each day felt like a gift and each year got progressively better? It can, and my book shows you how. Today is the day that you can unleash your full potential. All it takes is a goal is now available wherever books are sold. You can also pick up a copy at atgbook.com. That's atgbook.com. All right, let's jump into the episode. I'm trying something new for those wicked busy people out there. I've never met anybody whose problem is they have too much free time. Very rarely do I meet somebody who's like, I just don't, should I yacht more? Like, should I be yachting? That's a verb, right? To yacht, like I yachted. I don't even, I yachted yesterday. That doesn't sound right. But you're really busy. So I'm going to give you a 30-second version of this entire episode, just in case you're walking into your office, their kids are having a no-nap meltdown, or you just finished your time on the treadmill. Like, you've got to run, so let's make it fast. Here's the 30-second wrap-up of this entire episode. Three things I wish I knew sooner as a parent. Number one, vegetable amnesty. Let them pick one vegetable they never have to eat. Number two, cell phones. They can be wonderful connection points, not just distractions. Number three, puddles are for jumping. Life is too short to worry about dry feet. All right, that's the summary. Now, do you need more than 30 seconds? Cool. Let's listen to the whole episode. Now, first, I need to tell you, my oldest daughter is 20 years old. My youngest daughter is almost 18. I feel like I have to share my parenting credentials right away. Like, let's get them right in the open. Because I often see influencers on Instagram who have a one-year-old and they're giving parenting advice. I think that is adorable. Like, oh, that's your, you have a one-year-old, you're you're writing a book about parenting. Where I always say like, if I can still smell the sunscreen on you from your honeymoon, like you've been married for like a week and a half, don't. Don't give marriage advice. Like, don't do it. So right out of the gate, I got a 20-year-old. I got an almost 18-year-old. Because here's the thing. When you have like a one-year-old or a two-year-old, you're not parenting then. You're really not. You're protecting. You're not parenting. You're protecting. Your main goal at that age is to keep them fed, alive, and clothed in outfits they haven't thrown up on that much. It's kind of a sliding scale at that age. Jenny and I, my wife, are less than a year away from empty nest. So the three ideas I share today have been through the ringer. Now, I'm also not a parenting expert. Like, I wouldn't claim that. I've made a boatload of mistakes that will inevitably allow a counselor to buy an actual boat when my kids unpack them in their 20s. 
Like some counselor is going to get so rich off the number of mistakes I've made. My friend Al, who is a therapist, told his kids he'll give them a list of the things he did wrong so that they can save time with their eventual counselor. That said, there are three things Jenny and I did that helped us a lot. They involve vegetables, cell phones, and puddles. I hope they help you too. Idea number one that I wish I knew sooner as a parent, declare vegetable amnesty. As I mentioned, the first few years of parenting are mostly focused on protecting your kids from themselves. You're basically trying to prevent an eye patch. Like that's your goal. Now mingled into the eye patch years though is the difficulty of getting your kids to eat. So maybe right now you're listening to this and you've got a perfect angel kid. Like he's an easy eater. He's never fussy. But for the rest of us heathens, mealtime can be a bit of a struggle. It's got amazing potential for a battle. One of my kids, I won't say which one. I have two. So uh, you never know. One of my kids used to chew food that she hated relentlessly as a form of silent protest. She wouldn't swallow it ever. She would just sit there staring at us defiantly, chewing, 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 like a cow with cut, like until eventually the item lost all of its color, all of its flavor, and all of its consistency. She did this so often with pork that we started to call it Meatwad. Like, wouldn't that be a terrible band name, like a gross band name, Meatwad? But she would just turn it into this wad and stick it into the side of her mouth like a relief pitcher from the 1970s enjoying a plug of skull chewing tobacco. But there is one thing that Jenny and I did that 10 years later is still serving us well when it comes to eating, when it comes to our kids. We declared vegetable amnesty. What is that? Well, we let our kids pick one vegetable that they didn't ever have to eat. For as long as they lived, as long as they were under our roof, they could avoid this vegetable. But, and here's the key, they couldn't add a second or a third vegetable. It was only one. And this is the kicker. If they wanted to change vegetables one night, they had to eat 10 of their original choice. It was like getting beat out of a gang if you wanted to quit. Like there were consequences. There were going to be consequences. My oldest daughter, Ellie, chose mushrooms. I think it's the texture she hates the most. I bet there's a lot of folks listening right now that are like, yeah, amen, mushrooms are, they're a fungus. Like they're trying to tell us, like a, like a poison dart frog in the Amazon, it's trying to alert you, hey, don't, don't put this in your mouth. Like I grow under logs. Like maybe right now there's a lot of y'all that are like, yeah, we shouldn't eat mushrooms. Anything that grows under a log we really shouldn't be like, I could fry that up. I could pretend that's a, a, a hamburger bun, like a portobello, like hamburger bun. Like maybe you get that. I don't think Ellie has ever willingly eaten a mushroom. In my experience, I've never seen her eat a mushroom. And sometimes they are part of meals. And after a few bites, she sniffs them out with disgust. Like that girl has a bloodhound's nose for mushrooms. She also doesn't like tomatoes either, but if she ever throws a fuss about tomatoes, I just get a jar of mushrooms from the pantry and I say, now remember, if you want to avoid the tomatoes, which technically are a fruit, like somebody, I, I shared this idea on Twitter and they're like, technically that's a fruit. I'd say, you know, you cannot eat the tomatoes. Just know that you have to eat 10 mushrooms. And she starts dying laughing and says, never, never. It's become a huge joke in her house that still makes us laugh to this day. Is this silly? Yeah, of course it is. But if you're going to try to make it through parenting without being silly, you're crazy. 
Feeding your kids isn't easy. Try a bit of vegetable amnesty. I'm also very aware that how you teach them to eat will impact them the rest of their life. We all have friends. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Like right now, you already know which of your friends I'm talking about who are really, really picky eaters. And it's not celiac. It's not gluten-free. It's not like a real thing. It's just they're like, I don't prefer any vegetables, like all of them, the category, or I can't eat fruit unless it's from south of the border. Like I only eat warm weather fruit. Like you have picky friends. And I promise you, a lot of that starts when they're children. One of the things Jenny and I always say is we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. Because the choices you make at this age can last a long, long time. Another thing we say is, if you want a kind 16-year-old, teach a six-year-old kindness and then give them 10 years to practice. I think it's the same with food. So that's the first idea, vegetable amnesty. Second idea, don't be afraid of the phone. I had a lot of self-righteous ideas about when my oldest daughter would get a phone. And unfortunately, because of my job as a writer, I even got to write about them and give speeches about them in front of thousands of people. So essentially, when I put my foot in my mouth, I don't like to do it in a small way. I go, I go all in. I do it in big ways. And now it's, it's embarrassing to think about how self-righteous I was about what my kids were going to get a phone. I honestly thought that we probably wouldn't get Ellie, our oldest daughter, a phone until she was in the ninth grade. I would say things like, when she's 16, when she's 18, she can handle it. Like, I was so self-righteous. And that seemed like the best age. I had a lot of reasons for this decision at the time. And I felt fairly confident about the whole thing in general. To be honest with you, I, I was very ignorant, though. I was very ignorant and I was also self-righteous, which is a dangerous combo. It's like half the internet is like super uninformed and super confident. That's a dangerous combo. Now, unfortunately, when it comes to cell phones, I ended up being wrong. I was very, very wrong. My oldest daughter got a phone on her 12th birthday. That is much, much, much earlier than I anticipated. So why did she get one then? One conversation changed my entire opinion. So Ellie, my oldest daughter, was in an awesome small group with her church. It's the kind of small group that over the years, it went from sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, same small group leader. Like this amazing woman named Amy Fenton really just poured into this core group of girls. She had a daughter named Jaden and said, okay, I want to stay with this group of girls as they go from sixth grade and figuring out the awkward years of middle school all the way up to graduation. What a huge gift that was. So Ellie's in this small group. And over the years, she really grew to love this group of girls. They became some of her best friends. She's roommates with one of the girls right now in college. She's a sophomore in college. This is her second year living with the same girl. Where did she meet that girl? At the small group. So amazing group of people. And one night, this is years and years ago when Ellie is 12, my wife said, it's too bad Ellie doesn't get all those encouraging text messages from her small group all week. And I didn't, I didn't know what she meant. So I asked her to clarify. And she said, well, all week, every other girl in the group is connected to this big group text. They send Bible verses and jokes and encouragement. And since Ellie doesn't have a phone and she's the only one without one, she misses that community. So my main problem in this whole situation was that I was judging my daughter's adolescence based on mine. I thought her friends can just call our home phone. What a, what a stupid, stupid thought. 
Kids don't use the phone that way. They don't call each other. I've maybe seen my daughter have five phone calls in her life. They're as rare as mushrooms. It's text or nothing. And so suddenly the phone, it wasn't this demonic distraction that would whisk my innocent daughter into a digital wasteland where teens get into trouble. It was a connection point. Does that mean every kid should get a phone at 12? Nope, of course not. I don't think every kid is the same. I think some are ready at 12 and some aren't. It's the same with driving, by the way. Some kids are ready. There are some kids that when they hit 15 and a half or 16, depending on your state or country, it's like, yeah, they're ready for that. They're, they're so ready. There's other kids where you're like, you're going to need like an extra year of lessons. Like this is not, this is not working. Every kid matures differently, but I implore you to think long and hard about this issue. As a dad, I've been thrilled at the connection it's become for us. Ellie sends me jokes and memes she sees. She texts me out of the blue. I texted with her today. In addition to all the updates on where she is, I get to know her personality in some really fun ways via the phone. If you're a parent, the phone conversation is headed your way. The age of 12 worked for us. Maybe 14 will be better for you. And by the way, social media should be its own different episode. Like I'm not saying, when I say phone, don't hear me say you give them a full phone. Not at all. The phone doesn't have social media. Like we didn't, Ellie did a, um, Ellie did a PowerPoint presentation when she wanted to get some forms of social media. She made a PowerPoint presentation with slides. It was, and we didn't make her do that. She was just like, I want my parents to know this matters to me. I want to put some skin in the game. It was hilarious. So don't hear me say that. And by the way, just as a side note, they legally can't use Instagram until they're 13. Like just let's call that one out specifically. They legally can't be on Instagram until they're 13. And that's just the law. Like it's not because Instagram cares about your kid. Instagram does not care about your kid. They, they, they would have them on at eight if they legally could. They legally can't have them. So for a parent, that's an easy one. If your kid is 12 or 10 or 11 and goes, I got to be on Instagram, you can say, well, it's against the law. And here's this crazy thing. We're going we're gonna to live by the law in the house. I'm not going to make an exception to that. Like that one's an easy out. Like they legally can't be on until they're 13. So Don't hear me say that every kid should get social media at 12. Not at all. You have to decide what's the right age, what's the right form of social media, what's your your involvement going to be. It's a big conversation. The challenge with the phone for parents, I think, is that it's not like giving your kid a bike. Like when you give your kid a bike, you don't have to say to them regularly, like, hey, how's the bike going? Has anybody been bullying you on the bike? Have you seen any things you, you, that made you feel uncomfortable on the bike? Have, have people tried to manipulate you on the bike? You don't have to say that. With a phone, you do have to say those things. One of the worst things you can do for, as a parent is give your kid a phone and then leave. Give your kid a phone and then abandon them to the wild of the internet, to the wild of every human that also has a phone. You have to be present. It's an active role you have to play. You get to decide what age that works for you. For us, it was 12. And again, I think there's some amazing, amazing benefits to having a phone. Um, Time will tell. Time will tell, of course. But for me and my family, the phone hasn't been nearly as bad as I thought it would be. It's been a wonderful point of connection between us. Idea number three, take the pressure off of puddles. Take the pressure off of puddles. I can still remember one of my more embarrassing moments as a parent. 
I won't say most because there are definitely worse moments, but this one, I would say this one cracks the top 10, definitely in the top 10. So we were at Burt's, this big pumpkin patch farm in North Georgia. If you've, if you live in North Georgia or if you live in like Alpharetta, that area of Georgia, you've probably gone to this pumpkin patch. It's called Burt's, amazing pumpkin patch. And we had just finished like one of those classic fall days. Like, you know, the label of like a fall candle for Yankee candle. Like if you have a candle and it's like, October memories and it smells like clove and cinnamon and like fallen leaves. Like the picture on that candle is what this day felt like. Like we took a hayride, we picked out a big pumpkin for our house. We had cinnamon donuts, like amazing day. So we're on our way out. And my oldest daughter, who was only three at the time, saw a big puddle in the parking lot and she immediately started jumping in it and laughing. Like she just burst into laughter and started jumping in it. And I grabbed her hand and I pulled her out of it. And I said, oh no, 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 no. Don't do that, don't do that. I overreacted in the moment and I made it seem like she had jumped into a lava pit. Like that was my reaction. Like she had burnt off both her feet. And she was shocked at how intense I was about something that ultimately was so small. And an old man next to me, in an incredibly kind way said, son, it's just a puddle. It's just, it's just a puddle. And in that moment, I felt three inches tall because he was right. He was right. It wasn't a big deal. My daughter was so happy with that puddle. She was thrilled. And ultimately, what harm did it do? Well, what issue did it really raise? I mean, we were leaving anyway. It didn't matter that her socks got wet. She certainly didn't care. Like she didn't have an issue with it. It was not this horrible situation that my words and my reaction made it out to be. It was such a minor thing. And with the perspective of time, that old man, like, cause he was 40 years down the road further than I was, could see it in a way that I couldn't. It's just a puddle. Now, as a parent, you will face many puddles in your life especially in school. Like school is challenging for a lot of kids and some puddles will be literal, resulting in wet feet. Some will be bigger, um, forgetting homework, broken curfew and a thousand other variations. And you have a choice to make in that moment. You do, you have a choice. Here's the choice. You can overreact. You can scream and fuss and holler. I think we're still hollering. Are we using that word? I love the word holler. You can stress out. You can make the whole thing bigger than it really is. Or here's your second option. Or you can see it for what it is. It's a puddle. More things in our life are puddles than we want to admit. What seems life-changing right now, it might be a puddle in a few years. Ask a parent who has a kid in college if the mistake they made at 10 was as big as they thought. Chances are it wasn't. Chances are... They might even smile at the memory of the whole thing. Uh, I'll give you another example of that. It's easy as a parent to future cast or like forecast what things are going to be like. So you have a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, and their room is messy. And as you get close to college, you start thinking things like this, like, oh, their roommate's going to be so mad at them. Oh my gosh. Like if I don't teach them how to keep a clean room, their apartment when they're 28 years old is going to be so messy. And you're predicting 10 years out, you're predicting five years out, and it doesn't help the current moment. You overreact to the messy room, not just because it's messy in that moment, because you're looking at 10 years of messiness, and that isn't guaranteed. 
It's really not. Kids change. I promise you right now, there are people listening to this that are not the same person they were in high school. They're not the same person they were in eighth grade. They're not the same person they were in college. I'm not the same person I was in college. I was at an Auburn football game the other day. We went to see them play Sanford University where I went to school. And there was a woman with her family in line next to us. And she said, oh, I knew you in college. And I almost said immediately, oh, I'm so sorry. Like that's usually my gut reaction because I was such a knucklehead in college. But here's the thing. People change. They change. Your kids are going to change. So more things in life are going to be puddles. Like more things are just going to be puddles. So try this. Learn to laugh at the puddles. Learn to forgive the puddles. Learn to move on. It's just the puddle. So those are the three ideas I wish I knew sooner as a parent. Vegetable amnesty, fun way to deal with challenging food. Super fun. Second one, the phone can be really fun. The phone can be amazing. Look for those parts. Play an active role in the phone conversation. Number three, look for the puddle moments in your life. Where you can, don't overreact. Where you can, don't be so type A and so controlling that you blow something out of proportion because often in life, it's just a puddle. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews you write are super encouraging. Here's one I saw recently from Betsy H. She said, John Acuff, Bats 1000 on useful, realistic support for goals. All it takes is a goal is a weekly must listen for me. I've spun the dials a lot looking for insight and support to meet my goals. No one believes more in our ability to meet our goals than John Acuff. Taking into account real life, jobs, families, emergencies, John always has great ideas about how we can move every day toward bigger, better lives of our choosing. I love that, Betsy. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I try to create all my content knowing you have real jobs, real families, real emergencies, real distractions, real challenges, real obstacles. So everything I write, I try to create in a way that's based on the real world, not an ideal world where it's like, hey, in an ideal situation, you'd be able to start every day with three hours of reading. Tell that to a four-year-old. The minute you make a plan to change your morning routine, your four-year-old will get up at 4 a.m. It's like they can sense personal development. Children have like, they have a radar for personal development and then they change their whole routine and go, oh, you were gonna try to change your life? Good luck. So I always try to create advice that acknowledges that. So thanks for writing that, Betsy H. Make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days and please write a review. I'll see you next week and remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. <laughs>